1: Hello, and welcome to my show on civil rights. My name is Barbara Bullen, and I'm one of the radio hosts for the New Heights Show on Education and the New Heights Educational Group. I hope you enjoy the show, and I'm asking our listeners to consider becoming a sponsor. This show is pre-recorded. This show is based on the life of Frederick Douglass, who wrote three autobiographies, I will continue with the second autobiography written by Frederick Douglass, which is My Bondage and My Freedom, an extract each week. I will read to you certain portions of each chapter. The e-book can be downloaded from www.gunberg.org files backslash 202 backslash 202 h two a general survey of the slave plantation it is generally supposed that slavery in the state of maryland exists in its mildest form and that it is totally divested of those harsh and terrible peculiarities which mark and characterize the slave system in the southern and southwestern states of the American Union. The argument in favor of this opinion is the contiguity of the free states and the exposed condition of slavery in Maryland in, to the moral, religious, and humane sentiment of the free states. I am not about to refute this argument so far as it relates to slavery in that state. Generally, on the contrary, I am willing to admit that, to this general point, the argument is well grounded. Public opinion is indeed an unfailing restraint upon the cruelty and barbarity of masters, overseers and slave drivers, whenever and wherever it can reach them. But there are certain secluded and out-of-the-way places, even in the state of Maryland, seldom visited by a single ray of healthy public sentiment, where slavery Wrapped in its own congenial midnight darkness, can and does develop all its malign and shocking characteristics, or it can be indecent without shame, cruel, without shuddering, and murderous without apprehension or fear of exposure. Just such a secluded, dark, and out-of-the-way out of place is the home plantation of Colonel Edward Lloyd on the eastern shore, Maryland. It is far away from all the great thoroughfares, and is proximate to no town or village. There is neither schoolhouse nor townhouse in its neighbourhood. The schoolhouse is unnecessary, but there are no children to go to school. The children and grandchildren of Colonel Lloyd were taught in the house by a private tutor, a Mr. Page, a tall, gaunt, sapling of a man, who did not speak a dozen words to a slave in the whole year. The overseer's children go off somewhere to school, and they, therefore, bring no foreign or dangerous influence from abroad to embarrass the natural operation of the slave system of the place. Not even the mechanics, through whom there is an occasional outburst of honest and telling indignation at cruelty and wrong on other plantations, are white men on this plantation; its whole public is made up of and divided into three classes, slaveholders, slaves, and overseers. It's blacksmiths, wheelwrights, shoemakers, weavers, and coopers are slaves, not even commerce, selfish and iron-hearted as it is, and ready as it ever is to side with the strong against the weak, the rich against the poor, is trusted or permitted within its secluded precincts whether with a view of guarding against the escape of its secrets i know not but it is a fact that every leaf and grain of the produce of this plantation and those of the neighbouring farms belonging to colonel lloyd are transported to baltimore in colonel lloyd's own vessels every man and boy on board of which except the captain are owned by him in return Everything brought to the plantation comes through the same channel. Thus, even the glimmering and unsteady light of trade, which sometimes exerts a civilizing influence, is excluded from the tabooed spot. Nearly all the plantations or farms in the vicinity of the home plantation of Colonel Lloyd belong to him, and those which do not are owned by personal friends of his as deeply interested in maintaining the slave system, in all its rigour, as Colonel Lloyd himself. Some of his neighbours are said to be even more stringent than he. The Skinners, the Peekers, the Tildmans, the Lockermans and the Gibsons are in the same boat, being slave-holding neighbours. They may have strengthened each other in their iron rule, they are on intimate terms, and their interests and tastes are identical public opinion in such a quarter the reader will see is not likely to be very efficient in protecting the slave from cruelty on the contrary it must increase and intensify his wrongs public opinion seldom differs from very widely from public practice to be a restraint upon cruelty and vice public opinion must emanate from a humane and virtuous community To no such humane and virtuous community is Colonel Lloyd's Plantation Exposed. The plantation is a little nation of its own, having its own language, its own rules, regulations and customs. The laws and institutions of the state apparently touch it nowhere. The troubles arising here are not settled by the civil power of the state. The overseer is generally accuser, judge, jury, advocate and executioner. The criminal is always dumb. The overseer attends to all sides of a case. There are no conflicting rights of property for all the people are owned by one man and they can themselves own no property. Religion and politics are alike excluded. One class of the population is too high to be reached by the preacher and the other class is too low to be cu- cared for by the preacher. The poor have the gospel preached to them in its neighbourhood only when they are able to pay for it. The slaves, having no money, get no gospel. The politician keeps away because the people have no votes and the preacher keeps away because the people have no money. The rich planter can afford to learn politics in the parlour and to dispense with, with religion altogether. In its isolation, seclusion, and self-reliant independence, Colonel Lloyd's plantation resembles what the baronial domains were during the Middle Ages in Europe, grim, cold, and unapproachable by all genial influences from communities without. There it stands, full, 300 years behind the age, in all that relates to humanity and morals. This, however, is not the only view that the place presents. Civilization is shut out, but nature cannot be. Though separated from the rest of the world through public opinion, as I have said, seldom gets a chance to penetrate its dark domain, through the whole, though the whole place is stamped with its own peculiar, iron-like individuality, and though crimes, high-handed and atrocious, may there be committed with almost as much impunity as upon the deck of a pirate ship. It is nevertheless altogether to or outward seeming a most strikingly interesting place full of life, activity, and spirit, and presents a very favourable contrast to the indolent monotony and languor of Toccoho. Keen as was my regret, and great as was my sorrow leaving the latter, I was not long in adapting myself to this my new home. A man's troubles are always half disposed of when he finds endurance his only remedy. I found myself here, there was no getting away, and what remained for me but to make the best of it. Here were plenty of children to play with and plenty of places of pleasant resort for boys of my age and boys older. Little tendrils of affection, so rudely and treacherously broken from around the darling objects of my grandmother's hut, gradually began to extend and to entwine about the new objects by which I've now found myself surrounded.
0: Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals.
1: Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights Show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.NewHeightsEducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store. Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. My name is Barbara Bullen, and I'm the radio host for this show. This show is pre-recorded and focuses on the history of civil rights. A recap of the first segment of the show on Frederick Douglass will continue. There was a windmill, always a commanding object to a child's eye on Long Point, a tract of land dividing miles river from the Y, a mile or more from my old master's house. There was a creek to swim in, at the bottom of an open flat space, of twenty acres or more called the Long Green, a very beautiful playground for the children. In the river, a short distance from the shore, lying quietly at anchor, with a small boat dancing at a stern, was a large sloop, the Sally Lloyd, called by that name in honour of a favourite daughter of the Colonel. The sloop and the mill were wondrous things, full of thoughts and ideas. A child cannot well look at such objects without thinking. Then, here were a great many houses, human habitations, full of the mysteries of life at every stage of it. There was a little red house up the road, occupied by Mr. Sevier, the overseer. A little nearer to my old master's stood a very long, rough, low building, literally alive with slaves of all ages conditions and sizes this was called the long quarter perched upon a hill across the long green was a very tall dilapidated old brick building the architectural dimensions of which proclaimed its erection for a different purpose now occupied by slaves in a similar manner to the long quarter Besides these, there were numerous other slave houses and huts, scattered around in the neighbourhood, every nook and corner of which was completely occupied. Old Master's House, a long brick building, plain but substantial, stood in the centre of the plantation life and constituted one independent establishment on the premises of Colonel Lloyd. Besides these dwellings, There were barns, stables, storehouses and tobacco houses, blacksmith shops, wheelwright shops, cooper's shops, all objects of interest. But above all, there stood the grandest building my eyes had then ever beheld, called by everyone on the plantation, the Great House. This was occupied by Colonel Lloyd and his family. They occupied it. I enjoyed it. The great house was surrounded by numerous and variously shaped-out buildings there were kitchens wash-houses dairies summer-house greenhouses hen-houses turkey-houses pigeon-houses and arbours of many sizes and devices all neatly painted and altogether interspersed with grand old trees ornamental and primitive which afforded delightful shade in summer and imparted to the scene a high degree of stately beauty the great house itself was a large white wooden building with wings on three sides of it in front a large portico extending the entire length of the building and supported by a long range of columns gave to the whole establishment an air of solemn grandeur it was a treat to my young and gradually opening mind to behold this elaborate exhibition of wealth power, and vanity. The carriage entrance to the house was a large gate, more than a quarter of a mile distant from it. The intermediate space was a beautiful lawn, very neatly trimmed and watched with the greatest care. It was dotted thickly over with delightful trees, shrubbery, and flowers. The road or lane from the gate to the great house was richly paved with white pebbles from the beach, and in its course, formed a complete circle around the beautiful lawn. Carriages going in and retiring from the great house made the circuit of the lawn, and their passengers were permitted to behold a scene of almost Eden-like beauty. Outside this select enclosure were parks, whereas about the residences of the English nobility, rabbits, deer, and other wild game might be seen peering and playing about, with none to molest them or make them afraid. The tops of the stately poplars were often covered with the red-winged blackbirds, making all nature vocal with joyous life and beauty of their wild, wobbling notes. These all belonged to me, as well as to Colonel Edward Lloyd, and for a time I greatly enjoyed them. The next chapter is the gradual initiation to the mysteries of slavery. Although my old master, Captain Anthony, gave me at first, as the reader will have already seen, very little attention, and although that little was of a rem- remarkable, mild and gentle description, a few months only were sufficient to convince me that mildness and gentleness were not the prevailing or governing traits of his character. These excellent qualities were displayed only occasionally. HE COULD, WHEN IT SUITED HIM, APPEAR TO BE LITERALLY INSENSIBLE TO THE CLAIMS OF HUMANITY, WHEN APPEALED TO BY THE HELPLESS, AGAINST AN AGGRESSOR, AND HE COULD HIMSELF COMMIT OUTRAGES, uh, outrageous, DEEP, DARK, NAMELESS. YET HE WAS NOT BY NATURE WORSE THAN ANY MAN. HAD HE BEEN BROUGHT UP IN A FREE STATE, SURROUNDED BY THE JUST RESTRAINTS OF FREE SOCIETY, restraints which are necessary to the freedom of all its members, alike and equally, Captain Anthony might have been as humane a man, and every way as respectable as many, who now oppose the slave system, certainly as humane and respectable as are members of society generally. The slaveholder, as well as the slave, is the victim of the slave system. A man's character greatly takes his hue, and shape from the form and color of things about him under the whole heavens there is no relation more unfavorable to the development of honorable character than that sustained by the slaveholder to the slave reason is imprisoned here and passions run wild like the fires of the prairie once lighted they are at the mercy of every wind and must burn till they have consumed all that is combustible "'within their remorseful, remorseless grasp. "'Captain Anthony could be kind, "'and at times he even showed an affectionate disposition. "'Could the reader have seen him gently leading me by the hand "'as he sometimes did, patting me on the head, "'speaking to me in soft caressing tones, "'and calling me his little Indian boy? "'He would have deemed him a kind old man, "'and really, almost fatherly, but the pleasant moods of a slaveholder are remarkably brittle. They are easily snapped. They neither come often nor remain long. His temper is subjected to perpetual trials, but since these trials are never borne patiently, they add nothing to his natural stock of patience. Old Master very early impressed me with the idea that he was an unhappy man. Even to my child's eye, he wore troubled and at times a haggard aspect. His strange movements excited my curiosity and awakened my compassion. He seldom walked alone without muttering to himself and he occasionally stormed about as if defying an army of invisible foes. He would do this, that and the other. He'd be, if he did not, was the usual form of his threats. Most of his leisure was spent in walking, cursing and gesticulating like one possessed by a demon. Most evidently he was a wretched man at war with his own soul, and with all the world around him. To be overheard by the children disturbed him very little. He made no more of our presence than of that of the ducks and geese, which he met on the green. He little thought that that little black urchins around him could see, through those vocal crevices, the very secrets of his heart." slaveholders ever underrate the intelligence with which they have to grapple i really understood the old man's mutterings attitudes and gestures about as well as he did himself but slaveholders never encouraged that kind of communication with the slaves by which they might learn to measure the depths of his knowledge ignorance is a high virtue in a human chattel and as the master studies to keep the slave ignorant the slave is cunning enough to make the master think he succeeds the slave fully appreciates the saying where ignorance is bliss tis folly to be wise when old master's gestures were violent ending with a threatened shake of the head and a sharp snap of his middle finger and thumb i deemed it wise to keep at a respectable distance from him for at such times trifling faults stood in his eyes as momentous offences and having both the power and the disposition The victim had only to be near him to catch a punishment deserved or undeserved. One of the first circumstances that opened my eyes to the cruelty and wickedness of slavery and the heartlessness of my old master was the refusal of the latter to interpose his authority to protect and shield a young woman who had been cruelly abused and beaten by his overseer in Tuckahoe. This overseer, a Mr. Plummer, was a man like most of his class, little better than a human brute. And in addition to his general profligacy and repulsive coarseness, the creature was a miserable drunkard. He was, probably, employed by my old master, less on account of the excellence of his services than for the cheap rate at which they could be obtained. He was not fit to have the management of a drove of mules. In a fit of drunken madness, committed the outrage which brought the young woman in question down to my old masters for protection. This young woman was the daughter of Milly, an own aunt of mine. The poor girl, on arriving at her house, presented a pitiful appearance. She had left in haste, and without preparation, and probably without the knowledge of Mr. Plummer, she had travelled twelve miles barefooted, bare-necked and bare-headed. Her neck and shoulders were covered with scars, newly made, and not content with marring her neck and shoulders with a cowhide, the cowardly brute had dealt her a blow on the head with a hickory club, which cut a horrible gash and left her face literally covered with blood. In this condition, the poor young woman came down to implore protection at the hands of my old master." I expected to see him boil over with rage at the revolting deed and to hear him fill the air with curses upon the brutal plumber but I was disappointed. He sternly told her in an angry tone he believed she deserved every bit of it and if she did not go home instantly he would take take the remaining skin from her neck and back Thus was the poor girl compelled to return without redress and perhaps to receive an additional flogging for daring to appeal to old master against the overseer. This comes to the conclusion of the show. Next week's show will continue on the autobiography of Frederick Douglass by Bondage and My Freedom. Thank you for listening. You can reach me by email barbara b at newheightseducation.org be sure to join me every Sunday at radio.newheightseducation.org, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as I discuss the history of civil rights. Also join Pamela Clark's pre-recorded shows, which airs Wednesday by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Civil rights is our right. Have a great week.